We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Wednesday evening edition of the Field of 68. After dark, we are presented by our partners over at Bet Rivers. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined today by my lovely co-host, the one and only Archie Miller, as well as Terrence Oglesby, who actually decided to dress up, Arch. Do you see this? Is he trying to make us look bad or something like that? He's got the shirt and tie on. You look good, T.O. Hey, look, man, some people take this serious. You I was just getting ready to say you came in prepared. Like somebody, some people go above and beyond. You know what I'm saying? No, I I, uh, I called the Samford and uh, Furman game tonight, which I thought was going to be a better game than what it ended up being. It was a blowout, but uh, I didn't have enough time to change, so I ran home as quick as possible just so I could make sure to be here on on time to be with you guys. Yeah, we we don't want you pulling a Phantom showing up late, so that's, that. it, it's good that you're here. Uh, we had a lot to talk about tonight. It felt like a real college basketball Wednesday night, we had LSU taking on Auburn. We got to talk about that. Seton Hall played Providence. We're going to have to talk about that. Uh, and we are going to sit here and sweat out the end of this Tennessee-Alabama game with you. We're going to get into that. There's plenty to talk about there. But first and foremost, uh, something I'm a little bit fired up about. I know our producer Greg is a little bit fired up about it as well. Uh, Wake Forest at Louisville coming down the stretch uh, with 26 seconds left on the clock. Louisville grabs an offensive rebound while they are up two points. Uh, the shot clock is supposed to reset to 20 seconds there. The shot clock does not reset. Nobody on the Wake Forest staff notices. I don't think anybody other than me noticed. I know that the uh, play-by-play staff didn't notice it. So um, the shot clock doesn't reset. Wake Forest has to foul. Louisville ends up hitting two free throws. They end up winning that game. Uh, I think they won by six or eight or something along those lines. But either way, Arch, you coach for a long time. I'm just kind of curious how – what do you do in that situation? How do you handle that situation? And is there anything that, that Steve Forbes can do at this point to, to right the wrong? You know, it, it's tough in live action. You know, as the game is moving, especially as you're coming down the end to possession by possession, um, you can lose sort of, uh, you know, your train of thought as you're trying to regroup, especially after a broken play. You would hope that one of your players would be savvy enough um, if not your players, your bench, especially somebody who's action, you know, as the game is moving, sort of, especially sort of as you're coming down the end, things for you as the game is going on, LS- um, to, to get the referee's attention. Game. you got to find a way to get the referee's Two attention. Uh, the to have shot clock is supposed to reset to 20 seconds there. The shot clock does. Um, and we are going to sit here and sweat out the end of this Tennessee-Alabama game. We're going to get into that. There's plenty to talk about there. But first and foremost, something I'm a little fired about. Afterwards. 
Terrible. Um, First I'm and sure foremost, some conversations uh, something I'm a little fired up about. I know our producer Greg is a little before. bit fired up about it as the well. Outcome, and it's not uh, really gonna wait for us. Moving forward. Other than make you get attention, more mad. You gotta find uh, a way to get the referee's attention. That, that maybe uh, the shot clock is supposed to reset to tough. twenty seconds. Um, there, the shot clock. You would hope that somebody. Um, and we are going to sit here and sweat out the end of this Tennessee Alabama game. Get a referee's attention. Sit here and sweat out the end of this Tennessee Alabama game. We're going to get no one to send me to talk about Twitter. No one said first and foremost broadcasted something I'm looking for afterwards. And there, like he, I, I would have assumed that he was losing his mind. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if he had noticed. Wait for it, rewind it just to make sure that I'm not, I'm not going man. crazy. Uh, and I was too close to crazy. I was right. Uh, the yeah. shot clock on both streets at 20 seconds there. The shot clock was breathing. And we are going to sit here and sweat out the end of the Tennessee Alabama game today. We still would have had to give another stop and and go and score at the other end to be able to win. But it's frustrating you don't get that chance, right? But well, I'd be irritated that I didn't get to have the chance to make it to keep it a one possession game with about five or six seconds to go, especially when I have a player of the caliber of Alondis Williams, who's shown he can make the right, correct decisions at the end of the game. And then you have Isaiah Musius who's hit big shots, Davion Williamson who's hit big shots and that yum center guys, you guys know that's a tough place to play. And for something like that to occur towards the end, I mean, you have to notice it. And then you almost have to make a scene. Like yeah. even as far as like, hey, Forbes, just get out there on the court and be like, because at that point, they're not going to tee you up for that because they have to understand where the issue is. And I, I think for the most part, ACC officials would be lenient to that in order to figure it out. They'd gather together. But the fact that nobody caught it is what's shocking to me. And it changed the complexion of the entire you know, last minute because it you had a shot at keeping it one possession, automatically put them on the free throw line. You have to foul. Uh, disappointing to say the least, especially for a Wake Forest team that started out so well. Yeah. You know, I think the big thing in that game is that that was a big team for two teams, you know, really trying to establish here early. Louisville's bouncing back, finding their, getting their feet on the ground after, you know, a couple losses. They missed the Kentucky game. It's their second ACC game. They can get the second win. You have Wake, who's off to a terrific start at 11-1, and already 1-0 in the league. It felt like conference basketball tonight all over when you were watching these games. The intensity level always goes up, you know, once you jump into conference. But, you know, I think it was a big step for Louisville to find a way to win. Uh, they shot 34 free throws tonight. If you followed Louisville all season long, they have been a three-point shooting, jump shooting team. And I know Chris Mack, like, you know, uh, I've seen him coach a thousand games. He's one of the best there is at getting fouled, getting the ball inside. So for his team to get 34 free throws tonight, um, that was a big deal for those guys that they can build on it. You know, and from Wake's perspective, you know, they're off to a great start. This is a tough feeling, but you got to going into the young, like you said, right there to win the game. They've significantly improved their, their, where they're at in the ACC as they head home or wherever they're heading next. So there's some positives to take, take out of both teams. But that was a big game. It really was. It felt like a big game. And I think both teams really understood they needed to get it for a lot of different reasons. Hey, Arch, yeah. let me ask you this. Like, it, they took 22 threes, Louisville. Yeah. That seems to be kind of in the sweet spot. Did you have, like, a set list of – specifics that you would go after as far as statistics are concerned, whether it be paint touches, amount of shots from a certain area on the floor, was that ever incorporated in something like that? You know, I think the free throw line has always been emphasized with us all the way from, from our first year at Dayton, all the way through, you know, getting fouled is a big part 
uh, of the game. You get guys out of the game who are good players. You get your best players involved different types of ways. But the free throw line was always a big deal for us. You know, shooting the three, each team that you have can be a little different. Some may be a lot more equipped to take more. Some may be just certain guys shoot them. Um, but for us, it was always about getting fouled um, and, and getting two-point opportunities, you know, because when you do that stuff, um, the threes are going to be there, and mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're good on defense. But I just felt like Louisville and watching them early in the year, they're trying to find an identity mm-hmm. on offense. And the three-point line has been something that they've taken a, an abnormal amount, I think, for a Chris Mack team. And I think as you watch them go through conference, it's going to be really interesting as you say, they were 10 for 22 tonight, you know, 45%. If you ask Mac and his staff, how many of those threes tonight were ideal, good shots? Uh, something to I'm what a they've been shooting. About. I know our producer you know, I think great. the result tonight is they got a lot more drives at the basket. And they got a lot of different guys involved in getting fouled. You know, Samuel Williamson had double figures tonight. He has been non-existent for that team. They need him to kind of keep going. And they got a bunch of different guys at the line, um, you know, multiple times compared to some games where I think they've taken four free throws in the whole game. So big step for Louisville if they can build on that. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of uh, stress in the city of Louisville over the performance of this Cardinal team. But for the record, we are sitting here on December. I guess guess it's still December 29th, technically. And Louisville is in first place in the ACC as the only team with a 2-0 record. So, uh, Cardinal fans, it's not all bad yet. So uh, maybe keep the uh, keep the faith going a little bit and pulling in the right direction. All right, let's talk about this Tennessee-Alabama game. Alabama's made a little bit of a run here. They have the ball down by one uh, with just over two minutes left in the game. But the, uh, the, the, the mitigating factor here is that Tennessee is without Kennedy Chandler and they're without John Fulkerson which are two of, I would say, probably the two best players on, on Tennessee's roster. You could, you could might quibble with that, but I think it's fair to say they're two of the best. I don't know how many people expected them to go into Alabama on the road and compete with this team without their starting point guard and their starting five man. So, T.O., what is Tennessee doing to be able to, to hang with a team like Alabama on the road in this setting without those two key guys? Well, they've turned it into a wrestling match, and I love what they're doing. They've, they've shrunk the floor, and Tennessee can be really big. I mean, there's times on the floor tonight where Vescovy's running the point. He's 6'4", 6'5". He's a pretty strong kid, done a lot of work with his body. Josiah James is out there. He's 6'7". Victor Bailey's 6'5", 6'. Like, they've got size on the wings. And then whenever Plavsic is on there, as opposed to Fulkerson, he provides a little bit beefier of a dude down there. And I really like the Finnish kid in the mock. I think he's a nice player. I think he's still a little mechanical offensively, but I think he does a good job. But they're so big and physical, they can shrink the floor. And against Alabama's smaller guards, they're like, you know what? We don't have our lightning quick guy. Zakai Ziegler's been good. I'll address him in a minute. But we don't have our lightning quick guy to push the tempo. But what we do have is a bunch of strong physical bodies that we can slow this game down. And I can't tell you how many times, guys, that I've seen Tennessee get a rebound and literally walk the ball up the court. It hasn't happened a lot. Kennedy Chandler gets that ball and they're taking off and they're running. They're filling their lanes. They do a good job of that. Today, Vescovy gets the ball. They walk it up. And guys, I've played with a lot. I played with a lot of European guys that built very similar to Vescovy. He gets his hips on you. He controls where you go. Yeah, he's good. And he is a really, really good player when that game slows down a little bit. I was, I was curious to see how he was going to play with Chandler. He's obviously done some really good things, but you know, they have a good change of pace too. Zakai Ziegler comes in there, man. That guy is. 
Hey, the think about quit. think about yeah. this. They, they arguably their top two guys, or at least two of their most important guys, are out, and they've still played nine guys on mm-hmm. the road in late December. I mean, that's an eleven man roster that Coach Barnes has played nine guys in this game. And uh, you know, if you if you say, hey, you know, there's two minutes to go, Tennessee is up one or whatever it may be. I mean, they've limited Alabama to 40% from the floor, 17% from, from three, and, 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 and Davison has eight turnovers in this game. They have muddied it up, and they have given themselves a chance to win when two of their best offensive players, you know, aren't on the floor. And, um, you know, to me, Tennessee's shown their medal here tonight that they're going to be able to take their defense and they're going to be able to take their roster wherever they want and they can compete. And really the only guy, too, Quinterly's had a pretty good game. But I love what they're doing with him. They're switching up who's guarding him. When Zakai Ziegler gets in there, he gets up there, up underneath him and pressures him. Seems like they're keeping him off balance as much as possible. And and he almost turns it over again. But I, I just – this Tennessee team, man, they're tough. They're physical. It's a quintessential Rick Barnes team. They attack really the boards. I mean, they do a lot of really right good there, stuff. As you just saw right there, T.O., they also uh, – they know how to take charges, which is – you know, a little frustrating for those of us that might be on Alabama minus four and a half in this spot. Well, <laughs> well they're huge and they can, they can cover so much space. And like it, when you're that big and you play in the gaps, I mean, it makes it a lot easier to get in those positions. And yeah, they're, I mean, they're keeping Alabama in front of them and they're forcing them to drive into five orange bodies almost every time down the floor. And their threes have been tough and challenged. I mean, Quinterly and Shackleford are two for 16 from three on the night and, uh, you know, at home. And, um, you know, I won't be surprised who wins the game, but I will tell you this, Tennessee's been very, very impressive in terms of what they've been able to do. Um, and they've shown their depth. I mean, they've got a lot of different guys playing and contributing tonight. Has there ever been a, a more important year as far as depth is concerned? I would venture to guess no. I mean, no. I, I honestly was thinking about it, talking about it with a number of guys that, you know, last year at this time, especially, you know, in the Big Ten, our coaches conference calls and whatever, we were petrified of the return from Christmas that we could lose a guy who went home then the contract tracing that we could miss four five, six guys have to pause, have guys out multiple weeks at a time throughout the, the month of January, which is the most important to the point where the big 10 decided we were going to play on Christmas and the day after Christmas and no one was going to go home. We had to, you know, pretty much agree as a league and uh, it was unfair. Didn't feel right. But that was the, the extreme measure they're going through. This year, I think we've been kind of hit blindsidedly that, oh, my gosh, this is this this is raging in terms of the in, infections. And um, I think this year could actually turn out to be way worse than last year in these next two to three weeks as we head, you know, into conference play. The guys are going to be playing like Seton Hall tonight without three or four guys, Tennessee tonight without multiple guys. And um, the deeper you are, probably the better you are as you're as you're as you're at this stage of the season yeah and it's not just that they go 11 guys deep right it's that they have multiple players at every position and that they can give you different looks uh the thing about Tennessee is if they want to play small they can run those lineups out there with Kennedy Chandler and Zakai Ziegler and we've seen them do that Uh, and if they want to play big they can play these lineups so no matter who they're missing they're still going to have a group that they can put on the floor uh, that is used to playing together and that has practiced together and has run these sets together. Uh, Arch, let me ask you this. The last time that me and you were on this uh, show together was after Davidson beat Alabama. Now we're watching Alabama struggle at home again. 
Uh, is this just a, a fact of running into a couple tough matchups? Is this just, you know, kind of what happens when you're a team that lives by the three, there's going to be nights where you go six for 30 or has Alabama been, been figured out? I know that you're very high on this team. Have you kind of changed your tune on them at all? Like what, what's your take on Alabama right now? I think Alabama, Alabama is the most important thing that they've had. And, um, I don't know if everyone would agree with this. They've had amazing confidence about them. Their players have played with great confidence and swagger. And I think as you've watched them here from the Memphis game to the Davidson game tonight, they have some guys not playing as, as smart, maybe, maybe not reading the situation as well as they once were. Teams are going to adapt to you. They're going to change. And I think what teams are doing is they're making Alabama – you know, stay in front, drive the ball, make their guards take twos rather than give them good threes. And their front court players, they don't really post it. They offensive rebound, they baseline finish, they roll. And they're trying to, you know, continue to overdrive or continue to try to over push. Teams are making them stay in front and they have to adjust. I think that's where a guy like J.D. Davison is a young guy. He's going to learn here now that scouting report is on him. And uh, to have eight turnovers tonight is going to be a learning lesson for him. But Alabama is going to be all right. Um, they have to get a win to feel better. Right. Well, and, another and, thing, too, is you talk about those two teams. That was an amazing shot by Shackelford. But yeah. you talk about the two, te- the two teams. Oh, yeah. big shot by Tennessee. Are you kidding me? Just Are you wait. kidding me? <laughs> Yo, just wait. Oh, man, this turned into a wild game. I got to sit here and watch this live while I'm sweating out. Oh, oh. another one. Oh, forget about it. Yeah, Come on. What's, well, the hey, big fella, what's the big fella's name? Oh, here we go. What's the big fella's name that just hit that three from Tennessee? I, I don't know. I'm going to Olivia, uh, uh, Olivia wow. Namaka, the Finnish kid. I think he's a good player. He's just been stuck behind yeah, Fulton for a long time. What uh, a finish. What a finish. Yeah, really good finish. Uh, I think you talk about those two teams that you just mentioned. Not a whole lot of live ball turnovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Davidson has a, has a was it Foster Moyer? I said the other day, Arch, he looks like the ringer at a Merrill Lynch picnic. <laughs> like, uh, I, like as he kind of saunters up there and then he just kind of goes and you don't really know what's going to happen. Then he pops a couple threes. He just kind of makes it happen. But they don't turn the ball over. And when they do, dead ball turnovers, you can still set your defense up against them. And yeah. whenever they don't have that initial leverage, as far as when I say initial leverage, I mean being able to push it at you. It's a whole lot more difficult to guard somebody sprinting at you than it is if you're back. Well, that's where Alabama is like – unstoppable is when you let start to get their numbers ahead of you. You're right about the turnovers. You know, Davidson, they're going to make you guard. You know, they're going to make you guard. And here tonight, Tennessee's only had 11 turnovers on the road. Well, you guys said it perfectly. Who in the world don't, – don't set up to play Davidson on one day of prep. Oh, man, that's, that's brutal. Yeah. It's, that's it's, brutal. That's tough. But, you know, t- Tennessee, give them credit. They slowed it down. They do turn it over. It's not a live ball turnover, and they don't really get ahead of steam on you. And whenever Javon Quinterly is having to make a lot of decisions, he's been fine tonight, not necessarily talking about him, but J.D. Davidson has had to make a lot of decisions in the half court. And all those turnovers are obviously evident of, you know, he's not quite there yet on a set defense. And the other thing with Alabama is, I mean, say how you like. They value the three. I mean, Alabama has to make some threes. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the big thing with them is, is if oh, they're man. making their threes, they're going to be very difficult to guard. Yeah, you just saw that. Victor Bailey's got to hit that shot. Yeah, what oh, a set. Man. Nice set. It really was. really was. J.D. Davidson going to the line now. Uh, two shots, a chance to put Alabama up four. Uh, suddenly, I might 
end up being in a situation where I lose the under and Alabama minus four and a half. I'm sorry to turn this into this. <laughs> league, but, you know, Jimmy, D- Jimmy Dyke that. said J.D. Davidson hasn't cut his hair since second grade, and there's nobody more jealous on this planet than me. Like, 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 that's, a, that's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what would your hair look like if you hadn't cut it since second grade? It, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be too attractive. I can guarantee you that much. There'd be a, there'd be a lot of area in this in, in a solid island right there, smack in the middle. Wouldn't be looking good, boys. All right, let's see. What do you? Uh, what how about Justin? Doing? Hey, how about Justin Powell? Like, had some really good games. Plays at Auburn. Shoots really high percentages. Has kind of come to Tennessee. Accepted a role. Like, I I watched him play last year at Holiday Hoops giving against Memphis, and he controlled the game when he was playing the point at Auburn. I think he's a pretty big piece for them because they need shooting. Absolutely. You know, he he needs to play. Mm -hmm. Big deal here with, you know, three-point game. Arch, yeah. So they – I don't want to spoil it for you guys, but Tennessee misses the shot. Let me ask you a question. When when it comes to fouling up three, right? So Alabama is in this situation. They are up by three with 28 seconds left. Um, when, When do you get to the point where you foul up three, and how do you practice that as a coach? Well, um, the time is important, whatever you value as a coach. We will always go about 11 seconds to about four and a half. If we were in that range of 11 to four and a half, we're always going to foul. We would call the, we would call the, uh, the player, whatever you want to say, smack, and we would have a signal on our arm that we would smack our arm. That's if you have no timeouts. Obviously, if you can set it, you can, but sometimes they're going to miss that live ball free throw. You're going to be up three and they're going to push right at you. So that's the one you worry about the most. So in the situations you're practicing and practice situational basketball time and score, when you get in those situations, you're always working on it. And I tell you, every time that we've done it, um, we've won. It's worked out in, in our favor. Every time that we haven't done it, I remember playing against Rick Majerus, first conference game at Dayton, playing against St. Louis. And it was 15 or 16 seconds. They had the ball side out of bounds in front of their bench. And I said, 16 seconds, too much time to foul. Came right in, a couple passes, boom, boom. They banked the three-point shot. In. You know, it's just you have to believe in it. I know certain coaches will do it. Certain coaches won't. I think it's the smart thing to do, especially if you have a – a good free throw team in terms of making them, or you have a team that can rebound the ball on the foul line. Um, but it, it, it could backfire. But I just think from, from our standpoint, you have to practice it in situations and you have to have a time in your mind that isn't too much. Let me ask you this. Is it something where, Hey, this team hasn't shot the ball. Great. We're going to take our chances or is it four and a half to 11 seconds, no matter what, because that's what we do. You know, I think four and a half to 11 seconds, no matter what we're going to do it. Um, we never really applied uh, boy, they're off today or one of those deals. Um, sure. you know, I can remember playing against um, Mike, Mike Anderson at Arkansas at home one time. And it was in this situation where we're at the line to go up four and uh, we miss a live ball free throw and boom, it went like one pass up the sideline, three overtime, you know, it just goes that fast and just feel like the three is the only thing that's going to get you, you know? So for us, it was 11 to four. We would do it religiously. Hey, Doster, how much money do you have on this game? Is this healthy? <laughs> you know what? Like, like, is this healthy right now? Like, <laughs> Let's go cheers. Let's go cheers. <laughs> I'm a little – it should have been a Miller. Oh, man. It was, I, yeah, hey, here's the thing. I was going to go grab one, but I realized I drank all of them on Christmas. So don't, don't. <laughs> Here, Here's to winners, baby. Thank you, Bet Rivers. 
uh, hopefully we'll make them go broke tonight. Anyway. Um, but Tennessee, Tennessee's got a – Alabama has a way to grind one out in a, on a night that wasn't maybe your best. But Tennessee, boy, that's a hard-fought fought game that you had in your hands. And uh, this is conference time now, though, man. They all feel like this. But yeah. what's, more, what's more impressive? Is it Alabama squeaking one out or is it Tennessee keeping it this close? I always feel like it's the team that finds a way to win. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, it, you can always play them close or you have that, you know, great effort and you came up a little short. But sometimes when it's not your best, the pressure starts to become on you, especially at home. You know, when you're in those situations where the crowd's got that moan and groan feel. Sure. And um, I give Alabama credit, man. This was a big confidence win for them as they move forward. It's almost like deep sigh of relief. We got those couple losses out of our system, just beat a ranked team at home. And here's the thing. The one thing I'll tell you guys, no one, no one at the end of the season is going to remember who was in the game for Tennessee and who was not. Right. You know, that, that win is against Tennessee. And I think that's a great win for them. Their resume, the whole deal is they try to win the, the SEC. Tennessee's get their guys back, but that's a hard fought game. And you can tell that Tennessee's going to have a great season. It's funny you bring that up because I know we're going to talk about Seton Hall and Providence later, but I think circumstance this season, I, there's just no way to be able to keep up with it all. I mean, so exactly how, what you, you know, said. How like, you, you know, how do you with so many pauses, with so many reschedules, who played in the game, who didn't? I guess if you really are down to a few teams at the end of the year and you kind of really take a fine tooth comb to their schedule and say, okay, what happened in this loss? here you know oh they had three guys out you know maybe that makes a little bit of a difference but I just don't see that playing a big role with so much you know in flux here as the season continues to progress I think so here's my take on I'm curious what you guys have to say I think that it shouldn't matter if you're missing guys and you lose a game that you shouldn't lose you know what I mean like if let's just say Tennessee was missing three starters and they went on the road to Chattanooga and they lost right like that should be something that is in the mind of the committee when they're looking at that resume. I don't think that it should necessarily hurt the team that wins those games. And I don't know how much of an impact that it should have when you're actually ranking that stuff, but it should just be something that people are cognizant of. But yeah. I also think that what, what what's interesting about this year is it's going to depend on the timing of when you actually get some of these teams. So you mentioned Seton Hall Providence tonight, sure. Tio, right? That's mm-hmm. going to end up looking like a great win for Providence. Well, right? one. Because they got Seton Hall like after they Seton Hall's practiced twice in the last two weeks. They were right. down seven guys in their in their program that weren't able to play or practice or travel because of all the stuff that they've been dealing with. So I I think you at the end of the day, like you just kind of have to look at what the resume is and take it for what it is. Here, here's what will be important. You know, every league has going to have somebody from the selection committee that's assigned to your league and they're going to have a team of people around them. That's it's their job to study the circumstances around the teams in the league that are, are heading towards the tournament and your SID and your staff, however it was, they're going to communicate to your league's basketball commissioner guy. Um, and that guy's going to com- communicate to the committee every week and, they're going to have all the information. It's not going to be like, oh, I forgot such and such didn't play on, you know, that game. They're going to have all that information. And I think every team's going to have, you know, a fair shake at it when it comes down to the end of the season, who played, who didn't, you know, tough losses, et cetera. But as we play through it right now, um, I don't think any coach or anybody's going to be boohooing a lot because there's, you never know what's coming around the corner. You know what I mean? You could get your guys back in the next two weeks, 
another team could you play goes through the same thing. So I think end of the day, I wouldn't worry about it a ton. All right. All right. So let's move on to the, uh, to the other game that happened tonight in the sec. We had Auburn and we had LSU LSU came into this game undefeated. They left this game with a loss. Auburn beat them by 15. I think at one point they were up 18 to one. Uh, Jabari Smith looked great again. Um, Katie Johnson looked like a maniac again. He, he might be my favorite player in college basketball to watch this year. Uh, T.O., I know you love that guy. Runs um, on nightmare fuel. He runs yeah, on yeah. nightmare fuel. Like, that dude's insane. And I love watching him. He's a great, He seemed like a great kid. I'm not trying to take away from the kind of person he is. But, like, that dude talking trash to everybody and their mother, to the refs, to me a little bit while I was on the side. Like, I love I loved the energy of that guy. He was incredible. So, I, I thought that the, the biggest takeaway for me – um, for Auburn was just the impact that Walker Kessler has on this team. Like his ability to stand in front of the rim and protect the rim and allow Auburn to get out and overplay and pressure and try to force those turnovers and try to do all those things that Bruce Pearl teams love to do. I, I think it just takes him up a notch. And now that they got, I mean, Alan Flanagan isn't even, he doesn't even look like he's 100% himself yet. And they're still out here playing. Like I think the best team in the SEC TO you picked them to go to the final four on our podcast back in the preseason that's looking really, really prescient right now. Uh, Arch, T.O., both of you guys, I want to hear, what is your takeaway on this game and and just what do you think the ceiling is for this Auburn team? Arch, I'm going to go to you first. Auburn's as good as there is, you know, in in college basketball. There's such a unique style and prep and, and everything that goes into playing against them. But they got great talent. They play extremely hard. And, um, they know, you know, they kind of know where their bread's buttered, how to play. And um, big fella tonight, you know, was one rebound short of a triple-double. I mean, you talk about an unbelievable performance. He had 11 shot blocks and 16 points. He was definitely, I mean, when you block 11 shots as a team, that's a hell of a night, let alone one guy. And um, to me, they smothered LSU from the start. Um, it looks to me like if you go into Auburn, that's going to be a nightmare in terms of their facility and their crowd right now. They definitely have it going and amped up in there. But they smothered LSU from, from, the, from the get-go. LSU could not get their feet on the ground on offense. They turned it over um, you know, way too many times. And I give them credit. They hung in there and, and made the game ugly at times defensively. Um, but you know, I think LSU will be better down the line. Tough environment, really, really good team. Going to be hard to deal with with Auburn um, all year long because of the, the different amount of guys they have um, that can do stuff. But they definitely have rim presence. They have length drives. I mean, they're they're they're, they're fun to watch. And um, to me, they're the team um, in the SEC right now, especially with the way they have things going on at home. They're going to be hard to deal with. Yeah, and going back to what you were saying about Walker Kessler with his ability to protect the rim, one thing that I really like about that young man, and I watched him play at North Carolina too, when teams try to pull him out and bring him on the perimeter, he's such a good trail-down blocker. Does that make sense? Like, they get past him, and he's able to – Yeah, he's able to – he's so long and so big, he's able to recover and block shots off the board, and then their guards take off and run. Now, a lot of people were apprehensive about their point guard play. Last year, they had to play a bunch of different guys at that position. They bring in three transfer points. Everybody's like, well, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Zeb Jasper, is he good enough? I don't know. Uh, Green Jr. from Eastern Kentucky, is he good enough? I don't know. We didn't really take into account how good those three guys were that they brought in were going to be on defense. And if they are making things that difficult on the opposing team and they're just 
trying to catch their breath on the way back to play defense because they're having to deal with so much pressure offensively. I mean, that factors in. That factors in big time. And they have a go-to player. I mean, Jabari Smith, is there is there one better right now? I, I was really excited to see the matchup between him and Tari Eason. You guys talked about it earlier today on our text thread, like, that guy's a special defender. I'm interested to see how an older player that's got size and some meat on his bones able to guard Jabari Smith looks like he did fine to me. And they have a go-to scorer at the end of the clock. They have an energy player to pick it up when maybe sometimes aren't you – know, you know, the season's long. You're going to hit a slog every now and then. The energy's not going to be crazy. Katie Johnson's going to fix that on his own because he's going to run his head into the scores table. He's going to foul somebody way too hard. He's going to get in somebody's face. Like, they have a lot of pieces. And like you said, their their style is so unique. And sometimes when you're in a place like Auburn, if you junk up the game a little bit – or when I played at Clemson, Arch, you junk yeah. up the game a little bit. Maybe your talent's not what it, you think it needs to be to play with at Kentucky. You turn that pressure up and you change the game and you flip the game on its head, sometimes you can win. And now on top of those guards pressuring like that, they have Jabari Smith and they have Walker Kessler and they have that five-star top-end talent. That Auburn team's really good. And I might have gotten lucky on the pick. Let's be honest, boys. I might have gotten lucky. Yeah, yeah, really... I, I, gave you, I gave you about 30 seconds notice that we were going to do final four picks. And I think you just threw that one out of the wall, pulled it out of your ass a little bit. But hey, hey, man, hey, some guys are clutched, Oster. Some guys are clutch. You know hey, what I mean? The thing, like, here's the thing the about ball. Auburn. You know, the thing about Auburn is they have a lot of new faces. It's yeah. not like they're not going to get better. I mean, they have a they have a high ceiling. I mean, Jabari's young. Walker Kessler's a first year guy there. Uh, Green Jasper, first year guy. Katie Johnson's a first year player. I mean, they, they got a, they got a chance. To, their ceiling is 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 really and, high. And to your point, Arch Alan Flanagan it just came back. He right just got this, back. This was his second game back. I still think that if if Alan Flanagan's at 100%, I think he is the best college basketball player on that team. Is that is that a crazy take? Javar yeah. Smith's going to be the best pro without without a question, right? But I think the best player in college on that roster will be Alan Flanagan if he get get back to being his uh his pre-Achilles self. Yeah, I, I don't think, know, man. Hey, I think look. What TO said is important though. Um they're getting good point guard play. I mean, they really are. They're getting solid point guard play. Wendell Green in particular, I've been impressed with all year. I watched him a lot in high school. He's from Detroit, went to Eastern Kentucky. But, I mean, you know, he had 15 tonight. And, um, I mean, it, it seems to me like they have a, a, a kind of a two-headed monster going there with the point guard position. But they they have legitimate point guard play. And he's not Sharif Cooper, but at the end of the day, he's not shooting every time he has it either. You know what I mean? I mean, he's, there's a lot of guys that need to be fed on that team in different ways too. And I think they're getting good point guard play. Walker Kessler is the best college player on their team. He's good. He had 11 blocks. He had 11 blocks. He almost had, he almost had triple double Dolster. Like I appreciate your enthusiasm right now. You're building, you're building the beast, but let's, let's like, let's keep it in the realm of reality here. So let me let me ask you guys this. Let's talk a little bit about LSU because they are now – it's actually pretty incredible. They went from last season being a team that was top five in offensive efficiency outside of the top 125 in defensive efficiency to being a team that can really have some problems scoring, but they just so happen to be the number one defensive efficiency team on Kempom as it stands on December 29th. Uh, what, what changed here? Is it as simple as they brought in guys that could guard like Atari Eason, who, by the way – comes off the bench for them um or is it is it something with the way that will wade is playing and and i guess arch are you buying this defense in this team long term or is this just kind of a thing where 
you know, they, they didn't really play anyone at the start of the year and they got hot. No, no, you can't, you can't get to January 1st and be number one um, in efficiency in anything and, and get credit for it. If you, if you're not that good, I mean, you know, I think number one, Tari Eason is a special, unique player. Um, if you just look at him statistically from a defensive perspective in block percentage, steal percentage, defensive rebound percentage, he's added a lot. Um, Pinson uh, coming in from Missouri, you know, Missouri plays hard. You know, they got guys who compete every day in practice. I think bringing him over, he's another guy that's played some defense, but all in all, they're very athletic. They're long. They're mixing up their pressures. Um, they're doing a couple different things there. Even tonight, you know, Auburn had 21 turnovers tonight. They don't typically turn the ball over a ton. Um, and I, I think, you know, they have some length as well. You know, Efton Reed's a freshman. He's seven foot tall in and around the basket. They have some length. They have some size. And, you know, to me, LSU's defense is, I don't know if it's number one in the country or whatever it, it may be, but LSU is very, very good. And I think, you know, tonight was probably one of those deals. They got hit in the mouth at Auburn early. I will say this, without the last one minute, 30 seconds in the first half, it's probably a four, six-point game at halftime, even being down 18 to one. They let it get away that last 90 seconds. I think Jabari Smith made a couple incredible plays and put them up 11 at the half. But, you know, LSU didn't have it on offense. I mean, you're not going to win on the road shooting 28% or 20% from three. doesn't really matter what your defense is doing on that night. But they get their offense going a little bit better. Um, their defense is going to carry them, but they, they get a little better on offense, which which they will. Um, they're going to be all right. They're not going to find a harder environment than they went into tonight in the league probably, and um, it'll balance itself out. But I think LSU is going to be fine. Defensively, they have some they have some really, really multifaceted players. Their presses and what they can do in the half court with their length is bothering people. Well, going back to your question, is it Will Wade coaching differently or is it bringing different players in? I think it's a combination of both. And let's give credit where credit's due. Will Wade can coach his butt off. But I also yeah. think he realized this year coming in, he doesn't have a Cam Thomas that he can just rely on to throw the basketball. So where is your emphasis going to be? It's going to be on the defensive end. And obviously he can he can pick and choose what kind of style he wants to play. And bringing in those players, Tari Eason, He's a stud defensively. He's good. Yeah. And and like you said, they've got, you know, Darius days, who I think is a good player four for 14 tonight, not great, but he's kind of your older guy and he talks a lot. He never stops talking. And Arch, you love that as much as anybody. I'm sure he never stops talking defensively. So he helps you out on that end of the thing. And Wilkinson's a big, strong, physical dude. And whenever you have those kind of pieces and you don't have an offensive stud like cam thomas was last year you're gonna to have to rely on other ways to get wins will wade recognized that early and then got busy on the defensive end so i think it's a combination of both yeah, will's a good coach i mean if you just track him all the way back to his vcu days or even his chattanooga days they were good defensively and um, mm-hmm. i think this year's team is built a little different and they're playing to their strengths yeah, I think you might even call it a strong-ass coaching performance from uh, from Will Wade this season. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Don't discredit that defensive performance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, in all seriousness, though, LSU – uh, it was their first loss of the season, and, I, and and anybody that can basically make it two months into the season without a loss is doing something the right way. Even if you're not playing, like, the best teams in the world, you still got to go out and beat those teams. You've seen plenty of teams struggle and lose games that they were supposed to win. Uh, but there are now just four undefeated teams left in college basketball. And our producer, Greg Waddell, has a graphic here. Uh, we're going to go through and figure out when each of these teams are going to take their first loss. Uh, Baylor's undefeated right now. 
Iowa State's undefeated right now. Those team, two teams play each other on Saturday, uh, you know, luck willing, hoping that nobody pops a positive there. That game will happen in Hilton Coliseum. We also have Colorado State and USC, who are both undefeated and are both also on COVID pauses. And uh, who knows when we're ever going to see them again uh, and see them back on the court. But we're going to start with this Baylor and Iowa State teams. And I'm going to I'm going to put you guys on the spot, man. You got to make a pick. Who do you see winning this game on Saturday? T.O., we're going to you first. A lot of pressure on you here. Hey, Hilton Magic's a real thing. I've been up there and watched when Coach Prohm was up there, and he had uh, Georgia's Niang and a bunch of really, really good players. And I love what Otzelberger has done. But this Baylor team is different. Their length on the perimeter defensively, they, they win a national championship, they get more athletic. Like, how many teams can you say have done that in the course of history? Like, it's unbelievable. Uh, Jeremy Sochan, James Akinjo has, Akinjo has been terrific. I think it's going to be a while. The next game after that, like Oklahoma is good. At TCU, that's a win. Texas Tech, tough game. I think they still – I mean, I'm looking at their next five games, as, as I'm sure a lot of people just did. It's going to be hard for them to – I mean, Iowa State's going to be tough, don't get me wrong, but I just love the the perimeter length defensively for this Baylor team. And any team with a guy named Chamwa Chachua, it fires me up. I love that guy. He's tougher. He's tough as nails. He boards. He's switchable. Flo Thamba starts for him. Chamwa Chachua comes off the bench, but when he comes in there, it's just a jolt of energy, and they just all buy into the – to the Scott Drew-isms that is Scott Drew. You got to love it. The culture of joy. Culture of joy, that's it. I think this weekend in Hilton is going to be a very difficult game. I just think Baylor is going to be too hard for Iowa State to score on. And at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to score enough points on Baylor to pull it out. But TJ's done a great job. And um, the fact they are where they are right now, um, he's probably, if not national coach of the year, he's right up there you know, with what he's done. But I'm going to go with Baylor this weekend over Iowa State. I just don't think Iowa State will be able to score enough points. It's going to be a hard game. I think Baylor is going to go down uh, in Morgantown. Uh, I think Morgantown it will be a place that anyone goes as hard. But if Baylor shows up undefeated in West Virginia, Mountaineers will be ready. And uh, to me, that would be a prime game uh, for Baylor. If they were going to take one, it would be in Morgantown. Could you imagine pulling up to the game and couches being on fire on the side of the road? They will be. It would be like the apocalypse going <laughs> in to play West Virginia and Morgantown. Could you if imagine? they're undefeated going into Morgantown and all and everything is good and it's set, that's a place that I think everybody would want to be that night. I mean, to see the game. That would be an incredible environment. Now, West Virginia in Morgantown, um, if they're undefeated, to me, that would be a place that they could knock them off. So since you guys won't do it, I'll be the one that does it. I'm calling it right now. Iowa State is upsetting the number one team in the country. Ooh. They are taking down Baylor on Saturday. I don't even know what time the game is. I'm just Haven't you it. lost enough money? I have, like, I, how, I, how much I, money do you want to lose? I'm feeling great right now. I'm feel, I, had, I had a great day today. I'm about 15% of the way back from the hole I dug myself at, uh, at Mohegan Sun about a month ago we don't we don't need to talk about that we don't know we don't need to go into the details on that one hey well um, speaking speaking of speaking of the other two like southern cal i mean pac-12 we we all know it we don't want to say it at or versus oregon's going to be tough but i mean is it good news that that they're all they all 15 popped a positive and everybody's completely healthy for them moving forward it is i mean it's let's knock on, let's knock on wood and say there's nothing 
lingering and there's nothing, you know, long-term that they find out, but I've been in these situations, you know, not too long ago where, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise as they move into the next few weeks that, you know, it's going to be very, very hard if, if that's in fact, all their guys just got it, that they get it again, because it's not going to be tested in the next three months, you know, with protocol. So for USC, even UCLA, very similar situation with, U, with UCLA. UCLA is probably in a very identical situation as USC, where, you know, not only their staff, but impact and their team, both of these two places, you know, may have just wiped out the, uh, the worry of, of, of COVID as they move towards February. Yeah, the one thing that I do hope is that we find a way to, to reschedule the games that were supposed to happen over the course of like this week and, and this weekend. They're going to have to. Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the games between USC and Arizona. And I mean, the Pac-12 will be decided with those games. You know, yes. so they're, they're going to have to find a way to do it. I feel like I've shortchanged the After Dark show by not, by not having Sean here to to fire up the Pac-12, which is usually what happens at this point, right? <laughs> I'm like glad you, you, you get little old me, back. and you don't get the pack. You don't get Pac-12, Sean. So, like, what yeah. are we doing? Uh, well, he has to take a month off. Their whole league is uh, in pause. I think. Yeah, yeah. Arts. for Arizona. All right, this, is, this is the point in the, in the show where he would explain to us about how Washington State, I know that they're seven to five right now, but look, that's a really good. It is a good, hey, that's a good team. I that's think, a good team. I think he would be coming around on Utah and Colorado. He would start yeah. to sneak those guys a little bit around Washington State and, and get them in the mix here as they go. But I will tell you that the Pac 12 has been hit as hard as anybody, and they're going to have a lot of makeup games and whatnot. But you know, the league, in my opinion, with what just happened, um, Arizona's got to be the favorite right now. You know, with UCLA and U- USC taking as much time off and, uh, you know, having as many players out as they've had, um, you know, it's going to take them a little time probably to get their feet back on the ground because both of them were doing well. But uh, Arizona, you know, they're just sort of sitting in the, in the wind, ready to go again. And uh, they have to be the favorite, I would think right now in January with those two programs being shut down as they come back, we'll see. Yeah. So we're talking about, well, I was just gonna say, if we're talking about where USC is going to get their first loss, uh, when are they going to play again? Well, just assuming that they're, they're back for the the trip to Colorado and Utah, I'm going to say that they lose at Utah, that, that road trip in the PAC 12 and you got to play two, uh, road games at altitude in three nights is never an easy thing to do. So I'm going to go ahead and say that they lose uh, at Utah on that night. What and Brent, Brendan Carlson, State. Brendan Carlson, best seven footer nobody knows about out in Utah. Pretty good player. I think, yeah, I, I would say I would agree with you. I don't know when they're going to play, but um, Colorado is a really really tough place to play um, for USC. And uh, Tad coaches them up, man. Yeah, to to me that road trip is going to be hard on them if that's the first one they come back for, no doubt. Yep, and then uh, Colorado State, we don't know when they're going to be back, but their first game is at home against Air Force, who just knocked off Utah State uh, at home today. And then their second game back, if they play, it would be January 7th on the road at Boise State. I can't imagine if you're just coming off of a long pause, going on the road to take on a good Boise State team uh, is a place where you are going to uh, – I, I love Nico Medved, right? I love this, this Colorado State program. David Roddy is one of the most entertaining players in the country to watch. If you're coming off a pause and going into Boise State, that's not an easy thing to do. All right, we got to get to the Big East because T.O. is a certified official Big, Big East guy. guy. Uh, so <laughs> Providence knocks off Seton Hall, scores 70 to 65. 
Seton Hall is obviously coming off their pause. We addressed this a little bit earlier. They had only practiced twice in the last two weeks. They only had eight players available for this game. T.O., our partner on the DTF podcast, John Fanta, was on the call for this one. Uh, Noah Horkler came out of nowhere, 17 points, 13 boards, three assists, three blocks, two steals, five for six from three, best player on the floor. Nate Watson had 14. Uh, what is your takeaway, T.O., on, on this win for Providence? What is this statement made tonight? Well, we talked about it earlier. I mean, a win's a win at this point. Doesn't matter who's there, who's not there, however long you've practiced, you got to look at look at it at face value. And I think that's how the committee's going to look at it. And Providence has built up a solid resume. Were they five and zero? Anybody? Yeah, it might be the best one. Quad one win. Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably the best resume in the country, or one of the best resumes in the country up to this point. Now, I will say this: the Nate Watson Ike Obiagu matchup is one that I will be really excited to see, and I hope they get to play at some point this year because I, I feel like Obiago is one of the better rim protectors in the country. Uh, plus the fact that Seton Hall is so big and switchable around the perimeter, he's kind of that guy that can solidify and protect the paint while they get out there and pressure, and him not being there I think hurts them a little bit. But nonetheless, I mean, impressive way to go out there and perform. What did they end up losing by five? I don't have the score right in front of me, but, you yeah, know, by five. Yeah. Yeah, Willard's going to have those guys playing really hard, and it's a rugged I mean, they haven't. Am I right in saying that uh, they've only been, to, been able to practice two times in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, yep. two times in the last two weeks. And, I mean, if, there, if, if, if there's that many coaches like Kevin Willard that can get their guys that close, I mean, that's, that's impressive, guys. Like, Jared Roden, love that kid. Bryce Aiken didn't shoot it great tonight. But, Coach, I've talked about this, I, and I'm big on this. You know, you have all these big switchable guys, Kadari Rich, Richmond that transferred from Syracuse. He's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, big, long, athletic, but he's not somebody who's really explosive off the bounce. He's kind of shifty and he's big and he's best when he gets his shoulder on you, but he's not somebody that's going to blow past you. I think bringing Bryce Aiken off the bench provides that jolt of energy offensively and he's so smooth off the bounce i i really enjoy watching that seton hall team play it's a schedule loss i mean nba talks about scheduling losses all the time i think that's something we might need to start talking about this season in college basketball scheduling losses but at the same time can't take away from what providence did i mean ed cooley's got those guys rolling at providence is playing as well as anybody um they have as good of a resume as anybody in the country. And at the end of the day, this is going to, this is going to be a big win for them in the, in the standings, a big win for their resume. Providence is playing for a great seed right now. They're not playing mm-hmm. for any, they're not, it's like, you know, Pro- Providence right now should be talked a lot more about what seed they're going to get. You yeah. know, not about, you know, are they one of the eight in the big East that's going to get in. They're way past that. I mean, they have, they have wins at Wisconsin, they now have Providence at home, Texas Tech at home. Um, they have Northwestern, which will end up being a quad one or two win. Um, they have somebody else in there as they well. They won at UConn. They won, they at, won at, UConn. at UConn. Those are going to both end up being top 20. Yeah, top 20. And, and like Cooley's done a great job. They have the best – I could be wrong. I think they have the best offensive big player in the Big East. He's the hardest yep. player in the Big East to defend inside. They're getting great contribution from my guy, Al Durham. Al's yep. come over. He's playing 30 minutes a game. He's averaging double figures. Got to the line 10 times tonight. He's added a real solid piece. Hit four and, big uh, ones at the end of the game, too, Coach. Yeah, yep. I mean, when he, they needed him. His, his experience and his character and what he's brought into the table has been right what Providence needed. And um, Noah, tonight, 
he really was five threes. I mean, you, you hit a guy like him as five threes, he gets 17 and 13. It just goes to show you they're more than like Nate Watson. You know, I thought last year Providence was uh, Duke and Watson. You know, they had this year, they got a lot of different guys stepping up and playing. And um, they're always going to be tough to deal with on the glass. And they're going to be tough to stop when they can get the ball inside to him. And Providence with, with these two wins right here in terms of they got Seton Hall out of the way and they have a game at UConn out of the way. Um, I feel like they're one of the top, if not top two teams, top three teams in the Big East right now. Um, I, I just think Providence has a chance to play for a great seed. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I'm getting word in my ear from my producer right now that we have uh, we have Ed Cooley and John Fanta and Jeff Goodman uh, currently. Two, two of the three are two of my favorites. Not not all three. Not Goodman. Three. Definitely not Goodman. Definitely not Goodman. <laughs> I don't think anyone anyone actually likes Jeff Goodman. Uh, but they are they're joining us uh, from the dunk right now in the bowels of the dunk. Uh, they got a chance to catch up after Providence's win tonight. All right, Eddie. You're 12-1, and one, but more importantly, you are 9-0 lifetime with John Fanta in the building. How about that? I, I will see you in Chicago, then I'll see you in Milwaukee. All right, we'll see you in Milwaukee. Like, he has to come to every game now, doesn't he? Every, actually, you have a personal seat on our plane yeah. with your name on it, with gold shoes around it, with holiday bells and as much... Good um, meals, whatever. Throwing a cheeseburger. No. Eight cheeseburgers. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll get you some Louis the Fourteenth if that's what you want as well. Right. We is that true? Nine and zero. Oh. How about that? Go fries. How about that? Look at that. <laughs> the good luck charm, Johnny Fano. Johnny Fano. Love it. Love I, it. What twelve and one though? I mean, before the season, you could not have imagined this, could you? No, I, you know, I'd be lying to you if I said you know we try to prepare our men every game to, you know, to win. I think it shows, uh, you know, the job that our staff did recruiting the right guys and bringing in the right mix, and then the players buying into their roles to, you know, for the team and the sacrifice. So it's really a credit to the whole organization. Tonight in the huddle, you looked at your guys and said, we them boys. You said, we got to be tougher. We got to be stronger. Mm -hmm. We got to be better Mm -hmm. on our home court. Mm -hmm. Tell us where you get the energy from competitiveness um i know the guy at the other bench is one of the best coaches in the country coming out of timeout you got to be on your you got to be on your toes kevin's kids are resilient they played in some hostile environments and won um it's the big east uh and again i think there's a lot of street fights in the big east you know you can't go in there and try to be pretty in there you got to go in there you got to be gritty you got to be connected and you have to be able to communicate your way through the ups and downs in our league you got to be with ever to stand a two or three game losing streak we're all going to go through it I mean, at the end of the day, are you worthy to get to March 13th? That's what I keep writing on our board. March 13th, March 13th, March 13th, one game at a time. And they've been doing a good job. You know, timing is everything, right? right? You get Seton Hall. Let's face it, you got him at the right time, but you got to beat him. You got to take care of business. You did that tonight. Noah made some big shots, rebounded, defended. He didn't play like a guy from uh, North Florida. No, and, and again, he's one of our better defensive rebounders and one of the better defensive rebounders in the Big East. But his parents were here. He hadn't shot the ball well over the last four games, and he's been working on it. We've had a couple of great practices down here, so it's a credit to the dunk staff to put the floor down, allow us to come in and get some rhythm on this here. And again, the players were finding them. I, I tell you, in the huddle, they had energy. No, make the next one. I'll find you. When you start hearing that level of communication and that connectedness, it, it, it resonates. It resonates. You said before the season started, you will see the real A.J. Reeves mm-hmm. this year. Mm-hmm. 
tonight, he made the shot of the game. Absolutely, and we said that. Absolutely, you know, coming out, it I think was eight seconds on there. You know, it was a good call by Coach Battle on, on what we wanted to run uh, to dial his number up. And again, I thought he had another good look earlier. And then I said, hey, I want to come back to you. Just make the next one. You got to continue to infuse and inspire your players when they're not playing well for them to make the next shot. How are you celebrating this one? I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch film of DePaul. I am going to hug my children. Um, and I'm going to get something to eat. I just don't know what mama made. I don't know what she made. How's your, how's your back feeling after this one? I know, it, I know it's, it's been bothering you a little bit, but right now, after 12 and 1, does that feels, make it feel a little better? It feels a little better, but it's tight. It's tight. It's funny, as you know, we've been doing this a long time. We've been connected a long yes, time. We you know what I mean? We go way back. We go way back to uh, Eddie, believe it or not, coming up to me at ABCD camp when I was a uh, young, young journalist like yourself. And Eddie said, can you do me a favor? Can you offer, tell that kid over there, Ramel Bradley, coming out of New York, that BC, we offer, we're offering a scholarship. I said, but, but you're an assistant. Like, how can you offer him a scholarship? The head coach doesn't see him. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Coach, Coach Kinner trusted our eyes. and um, <laughs> He just didn't know what you were doing. What do you mean? I, you know, it's, it's all about how you sell it to the people you work with. <laughs> Coach, he's really good. He can go right. He can make shots. He's a good guard. It's a good win, though. And I think we, and we, we also, I don't know if Eddie's going to tell this story. The, the story down in Georgia. We're going to keep that one quiet. We're going to keep that one quiet. Yeah, I, I think that's probably and, and, best. And, and it, wasn't it's best for it, it wasn't anything that was bad. No. It no, just no. was, I was. Um, <laughs> How do you want to describe it? What's the best way to describe it? And I'll say it this way. I was the only black person in the building. <laughs> it was. It, that, that's it was. the only black person yes. in the building. Yes, yes. yes. We are at a country uh, And I don't know I don't know bar. It wasn't we even a there. bar, it was a big yeah, it was, it was a big place. You know what? In, with country in, music and in, Eddie walked in. He was ready to he was ready to do some line dancing. I wasn't ready to do that. I wasn't ready to do that. <laughs> I can't see. I, I don't know. I didn't last long. I didn't I, I didn't last no. long. All right, there you long. have it. Ed yeah. Cooley, Thanks head coach, twelve in one Providence Fires, but more importantly, 9 and 0 with the big boy John Fanta in the building. Fanta Get him Claus. back. Fanta Claus. That's right. Fanta is too much, TO. I I'm glad people are starting to get a little sense of what we deal with on a weekly basis having to do a podcast with uh with that guy. Anyway, guys, we got about 3 minutes left in the show. I kind of ruined the bit where I was going to pop open a beer. Um it's not Miller time tonight. It's uh it, it's Bud Light timeout uh for TO. How corny is that? Anyway, I want to do a sign-off with your toast of the night, your cheers of the night. Uh, send it to whoever you want, T.O. We're going to you first on this one. Uh, cheers of the night. I don't have my beverage, but I will uh, cheers to the night to Noah Horchler from Providence. It, it, he's a big piece of what they do simply for the fact that Nate Watson is so good inside. They need a four-man to spread him out. And what does he do? Had a really good game tonight. I think it was 17 and 13 boards. I had it right here a second ago. Uh, 17 points, 13 boards, three blocks, three assists, two steals, five for six from three. Not a bad night. Not a bad night at all. And he, throughout his career, he's been a good three point shooter. But if he's going to be able to do that consistently for this Friars team, uh, Arch said it like this is a team that needs to be talked about for seeding, maybe a top three, top four seed at this point in the season. They have been that good and their resume is that good. So cheers to Providence. Cheers to Noah Horchler. The North Florida transfer has made his presence felt up there. Arch. Yeah, I think, you know, my, my cheers for the night was, uh, you know, for Isaiah Wong. Um, I was paying attention to a few games tonight, but uh, NC State, man, they had control of that game almost halfway through the second half, and he made some incredible plays. Um, he's one of the best guards I don't think anybody's really talking about in college basketball right now. 
Miami played tonight without two guys uh, due to COVID. And um, in, in a crucial part of that game, he went crazy in terms of making some great individual plays. So Isaiah Wong needs to be talked about a little bit more nationally as one of the best guards, I think, in the country. So I'll wrap it with this. Uh, we talked a lot about LSU tonight. We talked a lot about Auburn tonight. We talked quite a bit about Tennessee. We talked quite a bit about Alabama. Those seem to be the consensus four best teams that everyone's talking about in the SEC. So my cheers of the night is going out to Kentucky, who is just kind of, you know, soaring in a little bit under the radar over there. Oscar Sheway, another 20-rebound game. He had 13 points, 20 boards tonight, a couple blocks. Keon Brooks went for 17 tonight. Ty Ty Washington looks like he's starting to figure it out a little bit. Severe Wheeler had another 11.9 assists kind of a game. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Kentucky being kind of matchup dependent and being at risk of one referee calling two fouls on Big Sheeb in the first three minutes of the game, uh, not having anyone behind them. But that Kentucky team is they're pretty good. They beat Missouri by 27 off the back of beating uh, North Carolina by 29. I think that they're flying a little bit under the radar at this point. So my cheers goes out to Coach Cal, Big She, Big Blue Nation, uh, everybody down in that Kentucky program, not just because of the win. Also, as uh, Cal said today, they're 100% vaccinated and 100% boosted as of today. So good for them for setting a good example for the country. Good for them for getting a win tonight. Uh, good for T.O. for looking great in that suit and tie. And Thank showing you. both me and Archie up. So hey, uh, rocking Kentucky blue. And the only reason you keep picking Kentucky for those things because you feel bad because you attacked Cal not too long ago. <laughs> so it seems like every time there's a chance to bring Kentucky in and to pump them up, it's like you're trying to get the Kentucky hey, they've back got on a your click, side. Hey, they've got it clicking though. They've got it clicking yeah, right now. I mean, they're not struggling in these wins. They're blowing teams out. Yeah, that's what you need to do, especially when you're playing someone as uh, as not good as uh, Missouri has been this season. So. For Terrence Oglesby, for Archie Miller, for our producer, Greg Waddell, uh, the lovely, lovely Greg Waddell. And for my wins tonight, thank you, Bet Rivers, for making me a little bit uh, a little bit more wealthy in the uh, – well, not in the pocket, I guess, in the Bet Rivers uh, gambling app at this point. My name is Rob Doster. This has been the Field of 68. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.